Hey everyone, welcome to the Practica Podcast, where we encourage the practical application of the pulpit ministry in the local church. I'm one of your hosts, Josh Loftus, and I'm here with David Lawler. Hello, brother. The second, the second host. Hey, man. <laughs> oh, so so things are a little different this recording. They are. That we are we're doing this over 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 Skype. Well, over FaceTime. Right. Um, because I am down sick. Yeah, yeah, not fun. I'm not feeling good. Not at all. I got that thing where like I was like down with a fever for like three days, right? Yeah. And then I had to preach this Sunday. Yeah, that's right. At a church, right? Which I was like gripping the pulpit the whole time, just <laughs> trying to like stay upright. <laughs> They're like, man, he's so serious. He looks sick. Oh, look at him. <laughs> oh, yeah. And where I'm just like, oh Lord, please just don't let me die. Yeah. And now it's like. I thought I was over it, but like it turned into a cold, oh, and now I have a cold. So I'm like uh. congested, and my there's head pressure, and so this could go one of two ways. This yeah. could be like this could just like dribble on for hours. Yeah, <laughs> or I could just say something completely off the walls horrible and we just end the podcast yeah forever lord willing lord willing it's uh we can be brief but also lord willing it's uh coherent that's right that's right um i will admit i i'm a little i'm a little behind right now i don't have a dad joke that's okay hey i again have i have one for you um, okay. Yeah. You, you've, you, 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 thank you for saving. Yeah. Me. You know, since we talked, we've been talking throughout this last week and knowing that you're sick, yeah. I figured, man, uh, I, I, I got to have your back. And so we'll see, yes. we'll see how well I do in being helpful and covering right there. you. I'm trying. I'm trying. Thank you, man. Yeah. I appreciate it. You, you have my back. Yeah. All right. Lay it on me. Lay so on me. I have a couple jokes. The first is this um, today, okay. I saw someone waving. And I wasn't sure whether they were waving at me or someone behind me. But in other news, I was fired from my lifeguard job. <laughs> wow. <laughs> a little a little probably on the That's darker side. <laughs> horrible, dude. <laughs> but in so other horrible. news. Oh my goodness. All right, this one uh, <laughs> dark. <laughs> okay, but uh so this one I like is it. This one's still kind of on the slightly dark side, but okay. really funny. Um, un- uh, unfortunately, my obese parrot just died. It just passed away. But it's a huge weight off my shoulders. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know why. I don't know why these jokes like this last week are all like kind of death-esque. Oh. It's funny. Yeah, it's because I I feel like death. There you go. Like it's very it's, it's very apropos. This is the this is it the is themed. themed episode. <laughs> it really is because what we're going to be talking about today is the Antichrist, among other so, things. Yeah, yeah, among other things. So very death themed. Yes, right? exactly. Um, no, thank you for those jokes. Thanks for having my back. You're I welcome. Enjoyed those. I, I do enjoy some 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 good dark humor. <laughs> I'm, I'm happy about. Yeah. it. Yeah, I'm happy about it. All right. So uh, last Sunday. Uh, Redeemer was in First John, correct? Well, chapter we two, Holy Week, right? So we're back into First John, right? Yes. Chapter two, verses eighteen through twenty-three, right? Some very, very difficult, very difficult passages of scripture, actually. Yeah, um, John seems to kind know. of ebb and flow through. Like, here is this heartwarming, affectionate address, and then he like 
almost in that very in fatherly <laughs> yeah this fatherly tone yeah. like but warning you know pay That's attention right. so so why don't we get into our pra- <laughs> so why don't we get into our passage <laughs> you're struggling and i'll read it i'll read it this week yes. <laughs> That's right, yeah. because I because I I'm trying to read yeah. it, and like every word is like popping out because yeah. I, I feel like I'm so sick right now. Totally. So David, we're gonna break tradition. You're gonna read the passage. Got it? Um, because I'm just struggling to keep things coherent right now. Totally. Um, but we are in First John chapter two, verses eighteen through twenty three. David, why don't you read it for us, um, and then we'll get into the uh, synopsis of your exposition. Absolutely. So John says, "Children, it is the last hour." And as you have heard that Antichrist is coming, so now many Antichrists have come. Therefore, we know that it is the last hour. They went out from us, but they were not of us. For if they had been of us, they would have continued with us. But they went out, that it might become plain that they all are not of us. But you have been anointed by the Holy One, and you all know, and you all have knowledge. I write to you, Not because you do not know the truth, but because you know it, and because no lie is of the truth. Who is the liar but he who denies that Jesus is the Christ? This is the Antichrist, he who denies the Father and the Son. No one who denies the Son has the Father. Whoever confesses the Son has the Father also. And again, as you always say, the flower fades, the... Ah, oh, see, I'm already screwing it up. The, That's all right. It's 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 the grass withers. The grass withers. withers. The flower, the flower, the flower fades. fades, but the for word the of our God stands forever. Amen. 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 Huh. Thank you for reading that, David. I I'm not able to read right now very well. Yeah. Well, well <laughs> I'm happy to. And even I kind of uh, goofed it a little. It's kind of one of those well, back and forth passages. It, it it is, and John John's language. It's it's funny because. <sighs> Something and again, this really has nothing to do with our passage, but but something that I love about reading scripture is that you really get to see the individual personalities of each author come through. Right, right. Like with the Apostle Paul, right? You get get these like long, drawn out comma 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 comma. Yeah, and you're just like, how is this still a sentence? Put a semicolon somewhere, dude. Right. Uh, and with John, he's like, it it it's almost the same thing. It just it's different. He's packing so much truth into and so much like conceptual theology into a paragraph that it like jumps around and sometimes it's hard to read you have to like be very careful to like take one section at a time and say okay what does he say here what does he say here what does he say here yeah um and that's very evident in this passage too especially with the topic that we're we're tackling today. yeah and you know what's interesting is john even seems to approach his his pastoral letter the same uh, of similar way that he does with revelation you know revelation is not linear it's cyclical it's right. it's let's look yeah. at this and then let's relook at this from this angle and that's very much how first john is and you're right he's packing so much in a condensed section so yeah. well let me give let me give kind of a synopsis as we do yeah. um kind of an overview uh, as we read verses 18 through 23 the heart of our exposition was on how we must discern the last hour as those who know the truth and confessed confess Jesus is the Christ. Um, John uses that language saying, children, it is the last hour. And what I had exposited and shown to our congregation was that in John's mind, the last hour is that whole span of time between Christ's first 
coming and his ascension and the second coming. And so this got us into, you know, the deep end of what is called eschatology. Uh, Even this next Sunday, we'll look at um, more on this subject of deceivers and how we must abide in the gospel and abide in Christ. And so in this exposition of 18 through 23, the heart of John's letter was saying, listen, you have heard in the apostolic teaching that a final Antichrist will come, but don't be deceived in thinking there's just one future out in the distance Antichrist. It is an office of which is filled all throughout the last hour. And so You mean it's not it's not somebody named Nikolai Carpathia? <laughs> no. No. <laughs> okay. <laughs> it is not. Um sorry how Lindsay. Um <laughs> So, again, John is wanting to warn them. You know, we looked at um, 2 Thessalonians 2, which is that picture of a final fulfillment of the Antichrist. But again, I I really tried to um, define um, the Antichrist um, in a broader sense, which I, I had said the definition of Antichrist that should be helpful for Christians is anything or anyone that seeks to rival or replace Jesus Christ. And so it's anyone or anything that either seeks to claim to be him, claims to oppose him, or even change him. And so Paul's dealing with this language of, you know, that and, or I'm sorry, uh, Paul does and now John does in this letter. He deals with the language of, you know, that Antichrist, the spirit of the Antichrist, and even many Antichrists. And so this got us into the thick of it when I had mentioned our confession. Um, chapter 26, paragraph 4 of the Second London Baptist Confession names the the, the Pope of the Roman Church, the Ro- of Roman Catholicism, as the Antichrist. Um, mm. And so really seeing that that office is the full and final uh, picture, but you really have many deceivers, as John will say when we continue on. And and again, his the heart in this is for John to really say, listen, a distinction is now being made in the church, and that is that these false teachers, these antichrists, have gone out. And it's been made clear they don't confess Jesus is the Christ. They they held to what is called docetism and an early form of Gnosticism. And so they didn't know the truth. They had an external appearance of knowledge and even claimed some type of secret knowledge. But true believers actually know the truth of the gospel, and they confess that Jesus is the Christ. And so we talked about why it's important to know the true gospel, to confess the true gospel, and how that 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 knowledge, that change, and that that holding to the gospel comes from God's work in us. And that is a mark of those in the new covenant, as Jeremiah prophesied about, God really prophesied about in Jeremiah 31. And so we we concluded by really asking the question and application, do we know the true gospel of Jesus Christ? Um, and so John's really, again, making a comparison between the false teachers who do not have a true, genuine, internal knowledge through re- regeneration. They simply have a false, religious, outward uh, uh, idea of knowledge, but it is not true, saving knowledge. And so that, yeah. that was really the heart of our exposition um, in that first part of this section. 
let's let's do a little clear clear up if we can as to some people might be asking the question uh, maybe who aren't so familiar with the 1689 is is why why name the pope as kind of the the ultimate embodiment of this concept of antichrist right yeah um and when we get into kind of this definition i i like the one that that you were giving is that it's not so much specifically at the end of the day one particular person as more this is anyone that is coming against the person of Christ in some way right. trying to trying to speak against who he is or what he's done yeah right and when you look at Roman Catholicism right when you look at the need for the reformation right the 1517 when the thing where it was it was hammered on the doors of Wittenberg right and this reformation started we need to look at the truths that the Reformation was fighting against. We're going to get a pretty clear picture as to why the writers of the 1689 would use the language that they did, right? Is because you have the Pope who's setting himself up as the vicar of Christ, right. which is basically Christ on earth, Yeah, right? He's a sinless form of Jesus Christ on earth. Right. Yeah, so one of the things I did in not only reading the confession, but I wanted to help our people understand. And so to help the listener, if they're not part of Redeemer, if they were not there on Sunday, um, to help them understand um, the context of this, uh, certainly, as you've already mentioned, the formers of the confession are are making mention of the office of the Pope, not a particular Pope. So it's not the Pope in the 1500s, the 16, 17, 1800s. Right. It is the Pope in regards to his office, um, which, fascinatingly, I actually read from the Catholic Catechism um, in my exposition because it mentions that by reason of his office, which is to call him the Vicar of Christ, um, the Pope is then the quote-unquote pastor of the entire church. He has supreme yeah. universal power over it and a power which he can always exercise. The, the catechism says unhindered. And so I had made mention like this literally. And he, he's, also, he's also sinless, by the way. We need to remember. That. Right, right. That is part of the claim, that he's sinless. He does not have... Um, the same natural uh, condition that we do in their claim. And so I had mentioned that according to Second Thessalonians 2, um, that, that is a clear outline of, of Paul's own language and even how John deals with what an Antichrist is. And so, you know, again, in Second Thessalonians 2, Paul mentions how the Antichrist, the, the son of sin, of perdition, will take his seat in the temple of God, which is the church, and he will proclaim himself to be God. And again, vicar of Christ is quite an explicit claim. And, oh, absolutely. And so really showing like, listen, we don't just kind of minorly disagree with the Catholic Church and, and false teaching. In fact, I, I even read from the Council of Trent documentation that that they claim that anyone who holds to justification by faith alone uh, is a heretic and is to be an anathema. Yeah. And that exists today. That is not a thing that the Catholic Church has has put out or said, let's, you know, let's all join together. 
um, people ignore that, both evangelicals and Catholics, but it's a, it's a real teaching existing today. And so I really tried to show, like, if we're going to see a final incarnate uh, Antichrist, I do believe personally that it will be in the office of the Pope. But also, John mentions many and that's where we really focused a bulk of our time. Uh, and so I really try to encourage our people, be discerning. Pa- uh, John is is really urging the church to grow up and be mature in Christ so that they can really understand that um, as they are going throughout the Christian life, they need to understand that not everything that claims to be quote-unquote Christian is of Christ. Uh, even Paul mentions that Satan disguises himself as an angel of light. And so the big, I would say the overarching theme of this text is be aware, be discerning, and grow in maturity. And and so I had actually, um, because to me, there are so many things in the evangelical world, particularly in America, that are just so deceiving, I had actually named names, and I had really called out some of the false teaching in our own day, not particularly because I thought that our people were heavily influenced by it, but I think our people need to be aware of it. Um, So, uh, basically, I had really said, these are critical things that we need to be aware of. Yeah. Yeah, and it's, it's, that's, that, that is the... That is the the point that I think needs to be made is that if we're going to be effective Christians in our society today and we're going to live lives that look like Jesus Christ, it requires that we understand what Jesus Christ looks like. Absolutely. It requires that we understand the gospel, right? If we want wisdom, and, I, and in, in this world it must come from a understanding and a submission to the word of God. Right. Right. We have to we have to know our source material, right? Because if we don't, we're just going to be tossed to and fro by any 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 wind of doctrine. Right. right. And we need to know how to discern. I think it was Spurgeon that said Oh, I, I'm. I, I'm. This is a massive paraphrase, but 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 he said something akin to wisdom. Wisdom isn't being able to tell what is right and wrong. Wisdom is being able to tell what is right and almost right. Oh, uh, discernment. Yeah, dis- right. yeah. Uh, d- discernment. Thank you. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, and and that that's what we need to be able to do because so much of this Christian life today is discerning. Okay, does the Bible actually say this? Does the gospel actually say this about Jesus Christ? Right. Because what we say about Jesus Christ and what we say about the gospel has massive implications. Right? Yeah. So I think it's important that, you know, as we're talking about more the practical application, right, how then do we come to a deeper understanding of the gospel? How do we uh, better call out the right. the deceivers in this world, right? How how do we call out um, the the blatant unbiblical behavior that's going on in our culture it starts with an open bible right that needs to be your authority it needs to be everything to you right and the question we need to be asking is what does the bible say and not get all kind of cute and fancy with the answers (laughs) if we don't like them yeah you know what i'm saying yeah i do the bible says this is a sin if the Bible says this is debauchery, if the Bible says this will not inherit the kingdom of God, 
you don't have the right to debate that. Right. I don't have the right to the debate that. Yeah. Right. Our our culture wants to sure. definitely, but we need to understand that part of being a Christian, especially in this culture that we live in today, is you've got to understand the the sword that you have in your sheath. Yeah. And you got to pull that out, and you got to fight. Yeah. Right. And it requires you understanding how to use it. Yeah. Right. Uh, and and that's why I think we put so much emphasis on on definitely definitely understanding theology and studying theology. We need to do that. That is that's vital. But understanding how to use it. Right. Yeah. Right. Which is the point of this whole podcast. Yeah. Um. I think it was Luther who said, um, "Doctrine in the hands of a fool is a lunatic." Um. Uh, Calvin. 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 Yeah. It was. It was. It was zeal. Zeal in the hand. Zeal in. What what did he say? He said, "Zeal without wisdom, yes, is like a sword in the hands of a lunatic." Yes, see, we're helping each other with the yeah. quotes. <laughs> Look at that! Even in my even in my like cold written you got state, it. dude, you got it. Oh, yeah, yeah I'm fighting through the Benadryl. It's <laughs> <laughs> good. Well, and I think you know, again, to as we talk about this, it is so important because when when John began his letter, and he's saying, "This is this is the true." apostolic message, the gospel of Jesus Christ um, that you hold to. He gets into, in the following section of chapter one, that God is light and in him is no darkness at all. And much of the false teaching that we see, even in our day, the things that I called out from among our day, what we see is this mingling of darkness and light. And there's Mm. a way in which we have to be discerning because the church is not called to mirror the world. In fact, how we love one another, the fellowship we have with one another and with God is to be pure. And and of course, we know John has told us countless times in this letter that we'll never be without indwelling sin. We will wrestle with sin until our sure. until we go into glory. And yet, there is a need to fight against the cultural ways. And that's the fascinating thing. You know, much of much of the the false teaching that we see in our day is really this accepting and mingling of of darkness and light. And John is saying mm-hmm. that is counter to the character of God. And again, we know like there is low hanging fruit in the conversation, which is, you know, typically like the Joel Osteen's or the Joyce Myers, people are like, okay, we've already looked at those. Everybody sure. from every camp has called that out. But I think, you know, one of the ones I mentioned from our generation, or that our generation really uh, admires, is Richard Rohr. And Richard mm-hmm. Rohr seriously uh, holds to those tenets of the exact false teaching that John is dealing with. And so we have to understand when John tells us this, the spirit of the Antichrist is here, he's writing it back then, but we also have that true that true deceiver now. And so there's this warning, there's this urgency for us to be mature, to grow beyond just our love and affection for the gospel, and also learn how to defend it and discern what it what yeah. isn't the true gospel. And so right. I think that is a practical application of even why we need mature brothers and sisters, um, because there may be areas in our lives where we are not mature, and therefore, you know, again, we don't know how to 
how to discern the difference between right and almost right. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, and and that that is where the battle lies, right? Right. Because here's the thing: when when we're looking at these type of of teachers, okay, l- l- let's take one maybe a little bit more obvious, may- maybe less obvious to some, Stephen Furtick. Right. Right. When Stephen Furtick first started out, he was in the Southern Baptist Convention. Yeah. A lot of the things that he was saying was actually pretty solid. Right. Not all of it. Not all of sure. it. Sure. Stephen Furtick, even today, you listen to some stuff Stephen Furtick says, and you're like, yeah, that's actually true. That's actually that's actually, that's actually actually a true thing. And that's right? what makes it so difficult, right? And that's what makes it so, and I'll say dangerous. Right. Is because there is enough truth to be mixed in to the poison to make it go down just easy enough. Yeah. Right? And there's enough scripture used in a correct way, utilized, that makes everything else very palatable, right? And we have to be discerning as Christians is just because someone's quoting a scripture correctly, right, doesn't mean that the entirety of what that person's teaching is correct. Right. Right. We we need to be we need to be good Bereans. We can't we can't just keep our Bibles open for a little bit and be like, okay, yeah, they seem to be doing good. And then you and then you check your discernment out at the door. Right. Right. No matter who your pastor is, whether it's me, whether it's David, whether it's whoever it is, you gotta have your Bibles open. Right. Right. Because that because that that does multiple things. One, it's good for you as the hearer. That you are immersing yourself in the Word of God, judging everything by the standard of the Word of God, right? Second, it keeps people like David and I accountable, because if we start saying something wonky that's not in the Bible, we're going to have individuals come up to us and be like, hey, so you said this, but the Bible says this, sure, right? And and that just being that type of Christian is what we need in 2022, especially <laughs> in our churches, yeah. right? So it really is about discerning the right to almost right that I think a lot of people miss. Yeah. Um, but that really where that that's really where the I think some of the main battles are because the blatantly obvious stuff, like you were saying, like Joel, Joel Osteen or Kenneth Copeland, all the stuff you see on TBN, any. Christian with any amount of discernment is going to be able to write that off, right? But you take someone who's a little less obvious, like Ferdinand, right. or that Richard Rohr guy that you were talking about, or I'll give another one, Beth Moore. Sure, yeah. Right? Who says some good things, yeah. but who's got some pretty wonky beliefs. Yeah. That requires a much more discernment than just listening to five minutes of Joel Olstein and yeah. rightly coming to the conclusion that he's, you know... He's full yeah. Of <laughs> and you know, I think when when we talk about all of these characters or or we talk about these issues in the church, one of the things that I think it exposes is our need for historical confessions and creeds. Because really the church throughout the ages has said the word of God is is true. It is inerrant, it is infallible. And and when the scriptures are proclaimed, we are we are confessing something when we say that Jesus is the Christ. You know, John says that's that's the mark of a true believer. Well, again, yep. your confession, whether you write it down or you say it, says something about your maturity, about your understanding of the scriptures. And yep. and while we 
would completely acknowledge that the, you know, Jude tells us that the faith has been once for all delivered to the saints. We have the gospel. The gospel hasn't changed. So confessions even and creeds are not about changing the message of the gospel. They're about saying, this is the gospel that has been delivered. We are seeking to confess it. We're seeking to explain it and define it and teach it, but we're not seeking to add to it. We're not seeking to redefine it. And that's one of the things, for example, in Galatians, Paul mentions, you know, if anyone comes in and preaches another gospel, let them be anathema. And so you have this need to stand firm in the true gospel, because really that's what, that's the comparison um, uh, that that John is making in his letter. You know, mm-hmm. he mentions later, you know, um, those who go on ahead from this biblical teaching do not abide in Christ. Um, they don't yeah. have God. And so you either have doctrine and devotion or you have denial and defection. You have a defecting mm. from these yeah. scriptural truths. And so, again, I think it's so important um, to have an awareness. We need to be careful and we need to stay humble. So, hundred percent, man. Yeah, no, that that's absolutely true. And the main way we do that is obviously through the Word of God, right? It's the Spirit holding us accountable through that. But it is again. I know it keeps coming back to it, but it's true. It's the accountability of believers, right? 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 Like the Lord will use your brothers and sisters to increase the discernment that you have, to increase the 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 wisdom that you have, right? Because you're exercising it the way that you should be with other Christians, right? right? And that's a really, really important thing to remember. Yeah, and I think the scriptures are really clear. You know, Acts 17, we have the example of, well, in Acts, for, you know, we have two good examples. One is uh, Apollos who proclaims the gospel but gets baptism wrong and is proclaiming the baptism of John the Baptist. And so, you know, a lovely couple pulls him aside and says, here's the baptism of the believer. Right. And then, and then you have the Bereans, Paul's proclaiming, mm-hmm. and then they search the scriptures. And so I think we need to seek to grow in the scriptures, ask important questions privately with one another. And again, in calling these things out even, the heart of it is to make the believers aware. John is doing that. Paul often is naming names, saying, here are those who've gone out into the world. And that was one of the questions I actually got was, you know, Someone said, I've heard people say that it's unloving to name names and teachers in a sermon. So what is the purpose of doing this, and how is it loving and helpful to the congregation? And I think the simple answer, one, I have never named names without a lot of prayer and a lot of conversation. It's not something that is fun to do. It's not something that I think we can do just flippantly. I think we have to study to show ourselves approved, um, and I think I think there are many individuals, especially within the Reformed camp, that name names far too often. Sure, yeah. Well, and yeah. I think a yeah, lot yeah, of people yeah. in our church who are who aren't even uh, familiar with the Reformed camp see name naming names, and it just it doesn't have a, a context. And you know, one of the things one of the sure, a, of course. a brother told me after Sunday, he said, you know. The reason why it seemed applicable was the names you named were literally those who were the same antichrists 
that John is dealing with. They hold to those heresies. Right. And so I think we need to we need to understand the context, but to answer the question, I think the purpose and why it can be both helpful and loving is to not only make the congregation aware in in their care, but also the purpose is to really cause us to be mature. Um, again, mm. if I'm gonna, if I see someone walking towards a cliff, I'm gonna call out their name, and I'm gonna totally do that in a public setting. Um, and again, I think we have to remember that when someone puts content into a public square. Um, whether that be social media or by writing books or or filming different material, um, they are you know R.C. Sproul did an amazing job once of explaining. Then they put themselves under scrutiny. That's true of anyone. Yeah. We have a I mean we have a podcast right here, so we are true. we are under people's scru- people people can call, people can call us absolutely. Out. Yeah. So we need to be aware that calling out names is not because we hate the person. In fact, I, I would right. pray that Roar and Furtick and all of those would would repent of the heresies of which they are teaching and leading people astray in. But it's loving and helpful to our congregation simply to make them aware and say, that is not true of God's holy character. That is not true of yeah. the, re- the revelation of Scripture, of what God has once for all delivered to the saints through the apostolic witnesses. And so... Mm-hmm. In that, I think it becomes incredibly important, again, as we've said, to stand firm in the true gospel and abide in Christ. Again, that's where John is going to go in the following exposition, and I think that is really, uh, again, an important application is, am I maturing um, in the faith? Who am I around that's helping mature me? Um, And again, also... Um, how am I understanding, applying, and defining the gospel? Um, I think those are some really key questions. 100%, man. I love it. Yeah. All right. Well, we're going to do a little shorter one this week because I'm going to try to go get better. <laughs> and I know you've got stuff to do. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I know you've got stuff to do as well. Yeah. Well, Josh, thanks for thanks for chatting and um I, I not only look forward to the next conversation as always, but I do look forward to when you're better. I, I yeah, me too. Yeah, yeah. that's that's, yeah. that's yeah. not fun for you. And but hey, you you uh, in all the conversation, you did well. You did well. Oh, thanks. Yeah. Oh, th- thanks. Thanks, man. Yeah. I appreciate. Yeah, that. yeah. You were coherent. Appreciate the vote of con- the vote of confidence. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Thank you. I, I feel like a, I feel like a little kid. You just yeah, you did great, bud. Yeah. Nice job, buddy. It's like it's, what is this a t-ball game? It is. Like, okay. Yeah. So when we hang yeah. up, I'll give you your orange slices. Oh, thank you. Yes, I need some of that vitamin C. Yes. Yeah. Or is that D? No, D is is Sunny D. That's it's, the that's the orange. Oh yeah. yeah. I don't think if you take yeah. Sunny D after this, then you're gonna be healed. Oh man. I was really hoping because now I want Sunny D. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, well, ladies and gentlemen, we thank you all for listening. We appreciate you guys uh, uh, tuning in, whether you are a member of Redeemer or not. We appreciate your questions and your comments and your listens and uh, just the encouragement that you give this podcast. We hope that it's encouraging to you, uh, these expositions and this encouragement to apply the theology 
that we read in scripture. Amen. Right? That's that's the whole point of it. So if you have questions or comments or anything like that, you can reach us uh, a couple ways. We've got a website, www.practicapod.com. Uh, there's a little link in there or a little page contact us form that you can set, uh, submit questions to that David and I will see. Uh, you can reach the podcast on all the socials, Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Practicapod. You can reach out to me personally. You can reach out to David personally. There's literally every way possible to submit and yet, questions. And yet someone else will think of another way we haven't mentioned. hundred percent. hundred percent. We'll get like a written letter yeah. next week. <laughs> yeah, it, dude, that would be amazing, actually, dude. Oh, if we got a written letter in like crayon, be like, Mr. David. Please, can you answer Why does your mind automatically go to it being a child? (laughs) I don't know. Because it's in crayon? (laughs) That's really funny. And a British child. Yes. A British child. Yes. Apparently, we have a British Uh, child listener. (laughs) This is. I'm sure we have at least one. I think Josh needs to go sleep now. (laughs) Can you explain to me the hypostatic union, please? <laughs> no, I can't. <laughs> uh, well, we thank you all for listening. Um, we'll catch you on the next episode of the Practica Podcast. Have a good week.